Welcome to Meetem Day 3 Live Summit. In case you're new to the room, my name is Pam Matthews. I'm the executive director of IEBA. Um, we are a trade organization for industry professionals who buy, book, and promote talent. In 2020, we'll celebrate our 50th year. All right, so we're going to talk about brand partnerships. Um, Chris, Giovanna, Lars, Sam, take just a minute, introduce yourselves, please. Go. Good morning. Thank you, Pam. Thank you, me, Dem, uh, for uh, having me here. I'm Chris Monaco. I'm the managing director of Rogers and Cowan International uh, and global head of music for Octagon Worldwide. Good morning. My name is Giovanna Perez. I'm with CMN. I'm the director of Booking. Um, CMN is the largest Latin event producer and promoter in the U.S. Hi, good morning, everybody. I'm Lars from Live Nation Brand Partnership in Germany. We do a lot of festival business, a lot of content business, and uh, we also work on some of our touring artists. Good morning, and thank you for having me. My name is Sam. I'm the president of Oakview Group International, based out of London. We are a US-based company headquartered in Los Angeles, uh, founded by Tim Laiwicki and Irving Azoff. Welcome, welcome. Okay, so um, in case you haven't seen this, Live Nation produced um, a fan study, a global live music fan study called The Power of Live, and um, it is available. You are welcome to download it. Um, and it has some great information. I really encourage you to take a look at it. Um, and one of the things that I found very important was that um, in this study, uh, Live Nation concluded that 90% of global concert audiences are very welcome uh, to brands in the space, provided that they enhance the experience. So when we're talking about brand partnerships, I think we have to talk about the four E's. Engagement in a way that is relative to the consumer. Experience in a way that's better than anything else. Exclusivity, that just for me feeling and then emotion. Certainly music does a better job of bringing emotion to the human condition than almost anything else. So let's, let's start with some examples maybe. Um, you guys have prepped a little bit for me, so maybe some best-in-class examples, um, some trends. Let's talk about the experience. Sam, you wanna get me started? Sure, uh, well, my background in, if you will, focus uh, in the industry is more on the venue side. So. I feel that the venue actually plays a very, very important role in the live event experience, especially on the music side. And what Oakview Group um, is trying to do globally is be a positive disruption on the enter live entertainment industry by the venues that we build. So I also say that uh, venues uh, play the role that uh, when you're especially talking about sponsorship is that the venue is always the hero. The venue doesn't get in trouble. The venue doesn't go on stage late. Um, and if you build these venues correctly, they will add to the uh, experience and every single night, it's a different consumer group uh, coming to a venue. They might be seeing Taylor Swift one night and Metallica the next. Um, and that experience needs to be tailored for the fans uh, based on the role that the venue pay plays. Okay. Um, Lars, I'm obviously very familiar with your study because it's, it's one of ours. And, it is. Uh, if, in case you didn't know, you can download it for free on LiveNationSponsorship.com. It's a white paper. We make it available to anybody. And uh, we were pretty happy with some of the outcome, as you've just said. 
Brands are welcome if they enhance the experience. So we are selling those partnerships to brands and part of our philosophy is to always create a product that will create a benefit for the fan. It's our first thought whenever we get an inquiry from a brand, they want to do something at a festival or not so much about venues in our market or they want to do stuff about our tour. Our first question is always, okay, what can the brand do to improve the fan experience? Because that's really what it's all about. If you do that well, then all the next steps will come in. And then just talk a little bit, and it has to be authentic. It can't look forced. It has to be mutually beneficial. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> looking at it in uh, a couple categories is important, uh, particularly in the, the festival uh, space. Um, what would be endemic to a festival? What are the things that come with uh, hospitality, food, beverage, transactions? Those things typically are the best type of engagement and easier to enhance a consumer's experience than the non-endemic. When you have a flash drive company that, yeah, great partnership, spent some money, got some access to talent, but what are you really doing with the flash drive you know, on site? It's, on, it's pretty much incumbent upon them to find a relevant way of being at the festival, not disrupting the fan experience, not disrupting the venue experience, Right? So that's really how we tend to look at it on behalf of our clients. And when we're working with Live Nation and AEG and Oakview and other entities around the world, that's how we go in and start talking to our partners about what can happen and what can't happen. And typically we'll find a very creative solution around it. But we'll start looking at those, those categories uh, uh, a lot more about why a brand could participate within the live sector. Well, and also to add to your point, I think that festivals were the solution for brands to get to these audiences because you bring multiple experience together at one time, like you said, beverages, food, activations, then getting your target audience to watch the performance on stage that you want. And I think that that's being key. Like a couple of years ago, um, a brand would sponsor a tour and they will get usually advertising, their logo on their screens, so maybe some activations, some flyers on the seats, some giveaways for people to take home after the concert. Nowadays it's different. On a festival you get the artists engaged on social media a couple of months before, during the event, if they're streaming, and then you have the activation for thousands of people to enjoy your product. Lars, do you have an example for us? On the festival side, to be honest, it's really hard for me uh, to limit it to just one example because I think there is, I, I particularly like festivals because they're such great platforms. People are spending an entire weekend, they're going to watch, I don't know, 20, 30 artists over the weekend, but they are spending 15, 20 hours on site, and there's a lot of other stuff that they want to experience. So looking at, at a festival these days, um, it, there, there are a lot of endemic partners who've been with festivals forever, the breweries, the soft drink companies. I'm not going to go into them because they've been around forever and that's right. nothing new. That's, yeah. here's, here's another simple one. Would, could you imagine that supermarkets can sponsor a festival? 
You can? Okay, because my partners couldn't. <laughs> the promoter thought I was going crazy because they're probably the most unhip, unsexy brands you can think about. A discounter, there's nothing, there's nothing passionate about visiting your local supermarket. Maybe a Whole Foods market, but that's a different experience. I'm talking about the cheap ones where 90% of young people go and shop their, their food for the weekend. So we brought supermarkets to a festival. People are spending three days out there. They're in need yeah. of a number of products. And we had, you know, the, the, they, they like to count billings, like how many people did they sell to? They counted 100,000 billings on one of our big festivals. Now we have three or four supermarkets competing who will be the supermarket at our top festivals. All the big festivals now have a supermarket yes. on the camping ground. It's a natural need. When we announce that we have a supermarket on site, we get on social media as much positive feedback mm -hmm. as a lineup of bands that are announced, including a headliner. Yeah, like yeah. you get 10,000 likes for saying, oh, we have a supermarket and you'll be able to buy all the products you need that weekend at regular prices. It's, it's, a, it's a very good point. And if you look at it from that non-endemic category, um, coming up with creative solutions that will enhance the fan experience, but also benefit from the industry side, providing a direct benefit to the festival itself. You know, look at one of the most clunky, clumsy, you know, categories to you know the live mu music space on site would be you know hotels, right? And uh, I think it was four or five years ago, Marriott at Coachella uh, AG uh, uh, event. Uh, very, very creative solution. They developed a high-end hospitality camping area, which took off like a rocket, right? Mm -hmm. And based on a creative solution, throwing creativity at something that could be a little clunky, what's Marriott doing at a festival, right? Well, bringing their brand to it and providing a new experience for uh, fans who historically were just popping up their own tents, right? And across Europe, it's a great solution and happening at, at more and more festivals now. It's created a, pretty much a new lane for, for that category for a level of engagement. Especially, I mean, you know, with, I mean, we, we, we have the traditional out in the green festivals. They've been around in Europe for like 30 years or, or right. more. Right now, I would say there's a trend on in the city events. And yes. that's where the hotels come in because if you attend one of those things, let's say you attend a Lollapalooza or a wireless festival, you're spending you know, two or three days in a, in a city. That doesn't involve camping, so that's where you know, hotels almost become an endemic partner. I was just going to add that I, I think there are a couple of buzzwords here. When you bring partners that are authentic and that can contribute to the fan experience but also help in the case we're talking about here as a festival, a, a buzzword, but also I think an authentic word is sustainability. And Glastonbury, I think, is doing something that has never been done before with single-use plastic water bottles and eliminating that from the experience when you talk about millennials and what they believe and what they want to be a part of is, is just that. They want to make sure that when they go to an event, too, they're not leaving a, a carbon footprint, if you will, but they're also partaking in an experience that they, believe, that they value. And if you can find the right brand to um, partner with that core value of the event, the venue, or the festival, I think the artists also rally behind that and everyone starts to pull in the same direction. Camelback. I mean, that's at Lollapalooza. I mean, that's the, I, people need water, 
Camelback provides the, the ability to take your water around. Um, and you mentioned artists. Let's flip it for just a minute before we move on. Um, an artist, let's talk about a sponsorship that involves an artist and how that has to be authentic. It has to be a shared value. It has to be, um, so brands want to make a human connection. I mean, brands want to seem more human. Um, talk to me about how brands can do that successfully. Well, my end, I can um, speak of two specific projects that I've worked with and two clients, which are Coca-Cola and Pepsi. Um, two of my artists have have had in the past endorsement deals with Pepsi in the case um, in the case of Nicki Jam and Daddy Yankee. But as I was talking to them backstage, it's it's you know it's surprising to see that even though these artists have endorsements in the past with these brands they actually perform and are part of these all of other festivals that are sponsored by the competition. Right. One of the um, recent uh, festivals that we produced in Mexico City with our partner Ocesa was the Coca-Cola Flow Fest, which you have an estimated attendance of 75,000 paid attendees. We bring the top urban Latin artists in the world to perform for a whole day and then you go from the brand not having to endorse those artists performing to the brand just sponsoring and producing the actual festival. Um, it's a win-win situation for the brand because the budget is completely different. They get the artists, they get the artist content, and they right. get the audience. And then on the artist side, the plus is like, we don't longer have to say, okay, so this year or the next three years, I'm tied with this brand. Instead, I'm doing this show. Right. But six months, you know, in the next six months, I can go to another country and maybe be with another brand and another festival and everybody's good. Um, and I think that that has to do with social media too, geo-targeting. You can limit the message to where you are. It's not like before. Yeah, I'm. I'm also a very strong believer that in in this current world, where you know our media behavior has completely shifted, you know the old traditional media is. A, I'm not saying it's about to die, but we know about their problems. Whether it's print, TV, TV is going to be the next yeah, big, oh. big, big thing. Yeah. Um, communication with young people pretty much happens on a few social social media platforms. Artists are massive influence on those platforms. You know. Top artists, we know 20 million fans, fans worldwide. So, my approach, whenever we work with with a brand, is is not so much. You cannot leave limited to like the traditional tour sponsorship model. If you partner with with an artist, it's pretty much it's it's a brand ambassador. We currently have a, have a partnership with Metallica out. They are equipped. Their crew is equipped by by a German workwear brand. And you're not going to see any advertising on, on site. That's not what it's all about. The story, and I'm a huge believer in authentic storytelling. Yes. The story is they're equipping the crew, hardworking people behind the stage. They're a workwear brand. But the story is a lot more exciting if it's told by Metallica's crew than by your gardener next door or your plumber. I think that's a brilliant idea. 
Okay, in any more on experience, because we are mindful of time, let's move on to exclusivity. Um, so there has to be something that you are offering, uh, the feeling that it's just for me. A successful brand partnership has some sort of exclusivity. Um, Bud Light does it well with their dive bar series. Um, can anybody talk about Lyft at Coachella? Like, that was fantastic. Um, they, uh, there was an exclusive area. They worked social media incredibly well. Um, they were lifting Khalid and Billie Eilish and, and that exclusivity that, that the brand is offering me something in the space where I'm at that it's just for me. Okay, let's move on. Let, yeah. No, 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 no. I think that's pretty much what every brand should be doing at, at a should, festival. If, yeah. And there, there are. I mean, I'm, I'm always referring to a festival. My, my apologies, but that's a huge part of our business, and that's what I believe right now. The majority of music sponsors are are active. Um, there's so much you can do to improve an experience, like you know, better view, better treatments, meet and greets with artists. I mean, that's this incredibly long list. Um, we're also very active in the in the content business. You know, we we we've partnered up with with telecom. We are we're in a world where broadcasting is about to change. You know, yeah. we've had a traditional TV model with our festivals for over 20 years. We're now moving into IPTV streaming streaming platforms because they're the next big thing out there. They'll have a lot. I mean. Technically, they have a lot more opportunities. We're not only streaming in your traditional high-definition footage, we're also streaming the entire festival, the 360-degree VR experience. This is stuff that you cannot do on, on, on traditional TV. I, I said there's so much stuff that you can pick up on and do something that only you as a brand can provide. Exactly. And that's the story. Go, Chris. Do, do we? Um, can we roll Chris's clip? Is it possible? I think this, this will be a good moment. Okay, fantastic. Is it possible to roll <laughs> Chris's 30, uh, 90 second clip? It'd be harder to explain. Can we roll the, the clip, the 90 second clip? Okay. Flag us when you're. Okay. So while we're doing that, while they're keying that up, you want to talk about Jaeger? We talked about that last night. Well, it, yeah, that's an exclusive feeling. It just yeah, for me, I had to be there to win. It's um, it's it's a great point, right? Um, and it again, it comes down to creative solutions. Exclusivity um, is a bit of a misnomer. I mean, you want to have a category, but you want it to be available to everyone, accessible, right? Inclusive. Ex I, yeah, I like the word. Yeah. Yeah. Inclusive, inclusive, better than exclusive. Um, okay. And and you know. Carving out a category again, it's you know, it's what you do with it. Um, you know, our our, our Fruct uh, business unit in the UK called Fruct uh, Music and uh, Experiential Experts um, did had a great problem solve for Jägermeister, and it was really about changing consumers' perception and habits of engaging the brand. It's not a speed metal shot brand. It's actually a drink, and. Uh, you know, our creatives got in and uh, helped the brand uh, bring a couple of actual Jaeger-based drinks to life. And they designed uh, what is called the Jaeger House, spelled appropriately. It yeah. was, it's been at a couple of your festivals. Yeah, <laughs> US. We, just, we, just, we just wrapped All Points East uh, last weekend, after two weekends. And basically, it's a, it's a brand experience. Uh, where you get immersed into the brand going into a purpose-built uh, festival house 
and we, well, our talent buyers work with the festival promoters to curate the lineup, uh, bringing in talent that we work with the brand to make sure that it's in line with messaging and, and comms and uh, becomes a benefit to the festival. It's one less thing, right? Cooperative partnership and providing a service for the fans that's a little differentiated and does have a level of exclusivity, but it's available to anybody in the festival. Sometimes you have to get in a queue and sometimes, you know, you, on you that don't. note, you probably want to enjoy your Jaeger based cocktail with a lot of people and not by yourself. So how, right. how can you get as many people, especially millennials, they want to share it with hundreds, if not more versus just being with 10 people. And when I say exclusive, I mean that you have to be in your venue or at your event to have it. That, that FOMA, that fear of missing out. If I go to your venue or your festivals, I will have an experience that I can't have anywhere else. And that's what I sort of mean by exclusivity. On my end, um, on the artist side, I can also um, about talking about being exclusive, but also to include your target audience. Going back to this uh, festival in Mexico that I'm talking about, Coca-Cola created what was called the Coca-Cola moment. And that gave 10 fans the opportunity to get on stage with one of the headliners during, like, let's say, um, when Daddy Yankee was singing Despacito, for example. Right. Uh -huh. You will bring the 10 winners to the stage and perform or jump, actually, with Daddy Yankee. Uh, during the set, I mean, I don't know how more inclusive and exclusive that experience can be now. That's not easy to do. Uh, but day after day, that it's, that's what is trending and it's what is bringing the you know, return of investment to the brands. And it also segues beautifully into the emotional category. Um, brands that stand for something, brands that have value, um, mean something to fans and artists. Yeah, we were talking backstage too. That's the beauty of music, right? If, as opposed to sport, which I also sell sport and our venues host predominantly music. We're actually building venues these days that are almost 90, 95% um, music venues, acoustically experiential backstage for the artists, et cetera. But um, I think the, the key there is that music, everyone shows up in a good mood and everyone leaves in a great mood as opposed to sport. Someone's going home not so happy because <laughs> their team lost. Losers. Somebody's going home. That's on emotion. Yeah. Music really is the accelerator on that as opposed to other things that brands could sponsor. Okay, so let's move on to some just nuts and bolts housekeeping issues. So what is expected of the brand? What is expected of the artist and the event? How are these um, deal points executed? If there's a fifthy, it's got to be execution. So um, Giovanna and Chris, you have some some insight onto those. <clears throat> okay, expected of the brand, expected of the artist. Um, first, that's, that starts way upstream, right? And, we're, and working with your partners, <clears throat> whether it's the rights holder, you know, Lars, right? Or the talent, Giovanna, and even, you know, with the venue. And when you're, you're sitting down and crafting these deals on behalf of your clients, it's incumbent upon us, you know, managing the client relationship to give them a good sense of what's real, right? Because clients all of a sudden, you know, think, think, well, yes. I'm going to have dinner with, okay, 
Mark Anthony's not showing up for dinner at your house, right? right? It's okay. <laughs> no. Uh, so it actually really starts here. And this is a very good uh, cross-section very of so. what it would take to develop a successful brand partnership in the live space with talent attached to a venue, right? And it's knowing your partners and how they work and what, where they're able to bend and where you're able to move your client in a logical direction. Nothing is undoable, right? You can achieve quite a bit, but it happens from talking, ongoing. There's no last minute surprises, right? There is no silver bullet, really. It's all about planning, being respectful, working with your partners, and it's not a one and done, because you have more talent, right? You have more venues, and you're gonna craft a couple more festivals next year. So we're all in this together. It's an ecosystem. It's not frenemies, we're, we're friendly. And right. earlier, that's the beauty, I think, Chris and I go back about 12 years, we worked on a deal when Chris was at, still is at Octagon, um, representing MasterCard, and we were selling the naming rights to an Olympic venue in Beijing to MasterCard. And I think the beauty, and you kind of said upstream, is the sooner you can get all the players at the table, Sitar talking about the vision, the, the more successful you're going to be. Uh, you need the Octagons of the world to be bought in very early with the brand to work with the venue or the festival and the artist to make sure that you're, what you're selling is deliverable. Yes. And, um, it, and it's beyond the contract. You know, the contractual obligation, certainly you want to memorialize as much as you can in a contract, but it is about, and, and I often feel that a lot falls onto a venue or a festival because you have the infrastructure to actually make that happen, you know, in 20 minutes notice if necessary. Um, and then I do want to talk a little bit more about relationships because Chris just alluded to it. Every deal is different, but every deal that gets done begins with building a relationship. Uh, Chris said, if, if I work with Giovanna and it's awesome, I'm going to work with Giovanna and I'm going to work with Sam and I'm going to work with Lars over and over. I'm going to go back to that same. Um, so talk to me a little bit about building relationships. Uh, just real quick. I mean, I've done two deals with Mercedes-Benz six years apart, naming rights deal, one in Shanghai, one in Berlin. And if we didn't get it right in Shanghai, we would have never had the chance to sell it again in Berlin. Different CEOs, presidents in different roles, people get promoted, people move, but it, there's, it's not about what you know, it's about who you know and never burn a bridge. And sometimes that's not the easiest to do because you're not always in 100% control, but right. as much as you can, you know, again, Chris and I, he just moved to London 10 months ago, but it took this conference for us to, to kind of get back together. Yeah. And last night over a few drinks and a couple of cigars, we just, you know, enjoyed catching up about that MasterCard deal in, in Beijing. And, and now who knows what the next deal we might do together. Yeah, I can. <clears throat> Thanks, Sam. <clears throat> it was a long. It was a long. Oh, night. Frog in his <laughs> um, you know, when when looking at at the ecosystem of deals, <clears throat> one thing um, that I've learned along the way, and try to explain to uh, other people I work with, especially when talent's involved, there there really is only one star in the deal, and that's talent, right? Everybody else has to be mindful of that and leave their egos. You know, in the cloakroom, leave their agendas to the side, and sometimes you got to give more than you want, but it's a long ball game, right? And you bring your clients along with you, and you make sure that they understand that as well, and you manage everyone's expectations, and really, at the end of the day, the only star is the talent, right? You're absolutely right. When I have a meeting with a star, I don't even do my hair just so they don't feel bad. <laughs> Go no, it's true. It's, it has to do with having... Knowing how to manage expectations, 
from the client and from the artist. Yeah, there's, there's only one artist. You can have the best relationship with the artist, but if you don't know how to deliver his or her expectations and create a balance of that, of what they want and what the brand wants, I think that that's the biggest challenge. I don't know if you guys agree with that, but in my experience, that's the biggest challenge that I have. I would say every great partnership starts with emotional intelligence, your ability and your will to understand, okay, what's the partner trying to achieve? How can I help him on that way? And how can I create a story that involves the four E's? So that story is going to be a success for him because the fans, which at the end of the day are his target audience, will see the authenticity. God, authenticity. Authenticity. Authenticity for, uh, of, of the partnership, that the, how they can benefit from, from that partnership. You know, one of our great examples are our pre-sale programs, one of the most successful things we've established in the world, you know, offering a sponsor's clientele access to our hot tickets before they go on sale to oh, the public. Oh, pre-sales, pre-sales. Yeah, yeah pre-sales. Mm -hmm. Very simple thing yeah. when, when you think about it but imagine what's the benefit you know we, we, we know some of our shows sell out in depending on the technology it's five minutes ten minutes or an hour if you are one of those selected people because you are with the right brand it could be a you know Amex is one of our partners O2 is a big partner in the UK Telecom's our partner over here right. it's, a, it's, a, it's a great thing and again, that, that exclusivity, this because I'm aligned with City or Amex, I have access that it's just for me because I've aligned with that brand. Okay, we're going to spend our last 15 minutes talking about opportunities and how to tap into them. Do we have some, some thoughts? If not, I can get us started. Okay, um, so do you believe that this statement is true? The challenge in helping brands recognize music is that they should always have it in their strategy. Do you... Do you do you have any challenges? You know, brands should always have music in their strategy. Mm. Absolutely. No, abs absolutely. That be, I mean, we're we're no, 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 from, no, no, no. From 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 a, I'm a, I'm a huge music fan, so I like to see brands spending money on music. The reality is, we probably have ten percent of the pie right now for music. Although, and here comes our statistic, uh, and that's not one of the studies that we did. That's a st study that's a, you know publicly available in, in our market. There are more people interested in music than any other. That, that they're more passionate about music than anything else. Sports, culture, you name it. I mean, we're, we're in the 90%. 90% of 16 to 50-year-olds are into music. And your study said that, that the fans said they ranked music over sex in a priority. So if, if me, that's what they said. So, um, so if, music, um, if music is that 100% connector, are you struggling to have brands always have that in their strategy? I make you a little worried about the reproduction of the next generation. Right we'll be fine. <laughs> but, uh, we'll be fine. They're way bigger than my generation. You it's know, fine. in crafting a, a, a brand strategy, um, yeah, you know, there, there's a lot of different factors about what you're looking at, whether it's sport, whether it's culinary, uh, different passion points, mm -hmm. right? Music really does seem to be a through line. All right. Always, always has been. It's always in the background. It's, it's a 
you know, a common understood uh, item for multiple segments, how you bring that to life within a, within a brand strategy uh, differs. And that's, that's based on, you know, the direction the brand's going, their objectives, what their creative is, and how they're talking to their audience. If it's a younger audience, yeah, live is actually a very good fit. Right, maybe more upscale premium audience. It might be exclusive shows, right, with uh, with a more well-known artist. Um, and you know, it could be really just a, a content-based brand uh, that does a lot of media. And you're you know you're looking at a sync, right, or crafting mm -hmm. you know potentially a sonic brand, uh, sonic ident for your brand. Um, and so that's a very big trend right now from from the brand side. Mastercard, one of our clients, just launched theirs. Um, uh, to great acclaim, uh, and it's going to be in quite a quite a few places that you you know use and uh, um, you know leverage your Mastercard benefits, tap and sign on and what have you. Um, so yes, music is is everywhere, and really finding your point of engagement is what's important from from the brand side and how you're going to bring consumers to it in a relevant way, more right. buzzwords, authentic and authentic, right? yeah. I think too that I think music is just to prove what you were talking about your previous panel about diversity. Music right. is diversity. Yes. Brands want diversity. In our world, which is festivals, that's a win-win situation. Uh, what's happening with the Latin music these days? Oh yeah. You have a Coachella, right? And you have J Balvin performing. That's diversity. So music has done that. It can, it can bring a brand to an audience that possibly nothing else can as authentically and relevantly. Yeah, and I, I, I mean, as I said, you know, music has to be part of any clever brand strategy appealing to 20 to 50-year-olds. Um, we do know that music's not an, a simple stop like some of the sport things. You know, you buy a billboard on a big football right, yeah. game, you get yes. millions of contact, it's an easy buy, it doesn't right. take much brain. Um, our world and what I would call successful brand activations in, in, in music, there's a lot more work that needs to be done. It would probably not be your one-stop shop if you want to be successful. You might want content, you might want you know artists to work, to function as brand ambassadors, you might be involved with festivals, whatever it takes. It'll be on multiple platforms, a lot more work. Yeah. But again, I mean, you know, what brands is out there that can really say, oh, no, we don't need to be in music. It's stupid. I agree. Um, any other trends you want to talk about? I'm going to give you a thought starter. Okay, how about this one? Um, the top 100 artists are super served in sponsorship, um, but the next 5% are underrepresented. Artists have influence at every level. Some of the most provoking campaigns have been the result of brands investing in emerging talent and niche audiences. Okay, that didn't get us well, anywhere. Well, uh, actually, no, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's um, I'm digesting the stats. I'm sorry. Yeah. So, um, uh, on, on the face of it, I, you could say that top 100 artists probably have the lion's share of, of audience social media. Um, a big misnomer is, like you were saying before, you know, a brand partnership with an uh, with an artist uh, sometimes has less to do with the artist and more about their fan base, right? It, it's, it it's, is. It's, it's, yeah. it's, it's well, effectively. It, it always a, is. It's effectively a new media buy, right? Um, and then what are you doing with what you have, right? That's 
get your, your creatives involved. Seriously, everything now emanates from creativity, right? There's a mechanism, like you said, go ahead, you could buy a billboard, right? FIFA, Champions League, what have you, right? Great, but what are you doing with that as well? And get your creatives involved, and then you'll find a way to differentiate that mechanism, whether it's an artist or a media buyer or a piece of content. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's interesting. The emerging artists, um, much more flexible. Um, there's a buzzword out there now that, you know, you don't need a record label and a statement. Um, I disagree with that. Record labels exist for a purpose. The entire industry is changing uh, at, a rapid, at a rapid pace, and artists want their music heard, and they want to play, Right? That's, that's really what it comes down to. So, yeah, you could do more, probably more with an emerging artist because there's less guardrails, less criteria. They want to lay up. Expectations are different. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I mean, obviously, um, right now, because I would still, still say, we're in, uh, I mean, it, it sounds stupid because music sponsorship has been around for quite a while, oh, yeah. but compared to sports, we're still in, in, in early stages. And it's relatively easy for brands to pick the top artists because out of 100 artists, there are enough out there in every product category where you can get an exclusivity on. And, you know, don't be upset with the brands. They are going for the package with the biggest impact because otherwise their music strategy will just die. But coming from the bottom end and, you know, 95% of our artists are starting from scratch, they might not yet be that attractive partner for a brand. But I, th I, I think, and I actually slightly disagree with the record company situation. I mean, I know I'm not, it's not going to be very popular at Medium to, to say that. To me, they've just become the, the uh, music venture capitalists. And uh, an artist, has two, to me, has two sides. There's the art, which is his music. And that's what the label's prior, uh, sorry, prime uh, function should be to market that music, and that also has to inv that can also be you know with brand partnerships because we all know you know music use in advertising, etc. And then there's the personality. What does that artist stand for? You know his his, his lyrics will decide his lyrics his looks will decide on you know what could work for him. From, from a brand side, and they have to see themselves as influencers. You're exactly. not gonna, you know, you're Artists not gonna get that million dollar sponsorship deal. I mean, that's like hitting the jackpot in the lottery. It's most likely not gonna happen in this life. You have to work, work your way from scratch with probably smaller partnerships that involve very little money at the start, but you know, you, you know, you investigate to accumulate, invest that money, build your audience, re-spend the money again to build an audience on your social media platform, that's when you will become attractive. If, you know, I don't, I don't know how many influencers there are out there in the US or in Latin America that have millions of followers and the only thing they can do is, is give you makeup tips, then I think there's a lot more an artist could theoretically stand for where they, you know, they would bring in some authenticity, but as I said, it will always be in relation to the scale of their popularity. And, and they do have a value, what they stand for. When those align, I mean, that's a great partnership. Um, let's talk about um, the, the death of the tour sponsorship. I think it was to going back to what I said at the beginning that it everything changed. Yeah. Um, it had to do with expectations too. At the beginning, it was just a typical 
tour, sponsorship, logos, presented presents, by. and a few giveaways, and the you tickets. get a, you then on the t you give mm -hmm. you get some tickets, and that's that. Yeah. You know, easy peasy. Um, now it's it's content. It goes. Yeah, you want to have an experience while you are at the event, but you have to work on the actual content and make sure that the talent is involved so that you could get a return of investment. Right. Yeah, I, I would say the old model of tour sponsorship to me looks desk. I don't know how many major tours there are out there right now. Name me their sponsors. I don't think the big tours have any sponsors. If the artist have a sponsor, like, you know, through in the DHL Brian Adams example, mm -hmm. DHL is Brian Adams' logistic partner on its tour. Again, a very authentic story. Yeah. Um, DHL has, I don't know what their target is, but I think, you know, they, they, they're obviously trying to become more eco-friendly. They've built their own e-scooters for the final yeah. deliveries in our market. Yeah, yeah, yeah. None of the car companies wanted to manufacture, so DHL stepped in themselves and built the cars. It's a big story. And um, Brian Adams also, he's, he's got that green thumb and likes to do, to do something good. It's not a tour sponsorship in the way we would have offered that 10 years ago, but it's a great brand partnership between an artist and a brand that involves the tour. And I think there's a lot of room for those type partnerships. Correct. In my case, uh, Mana, um, Corona sponsors the tour, but there's an endorsement. Right. I mean, you have Mana drinking Corona while they're performing. Oh, well. So, <laughs> of course, Correct. that's a different experience. Yeah. Uh, venues, trends, I, opportunities? I think, I think maybe to a degree the venues have become more a part of the tour, right? And where the promoters choose to bring the artists, right? They want to play in the best and they want to play in the newest. And that might give brands another opportunity to associate with those tours when they come through the cities that these brands are partnered with the venues. So per biasly, that's kind of where I think, you know, it almost as if the brand is the brand is hosting in yeah. that city. Right. Especially the naming rights partner, right? That that venue, actually if you think about it, the venue name is on every poster and every ticket. Um, so that's really showing you the value of a naming rights deal for an arena because they get to associate with every single act, artist, event that comes through the venue. And we have three minutes left, so let's wrap up with, and we just sort of touched on it, um, partnerships that live beyond that actual event. Um, so it, it's a, a live partnership, but it lives beyond the event. Just, I think you're honest at the best, it's, it's content, right? What can you do, what, what kind of rights can you buy that can then live social media beyond? I mean, the experience starts when you hear your favorite band is going on tour to when you search uh, for tickets on Ticketmaster, Live Nation's sister company, to when you think about days before the event, to when you show up at the arena, and then most importantly, I think, is after, and what kind of um, content is captured via the brand through that sponsorship um, that can live beyond, and it's content these days. Yes, Lars. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, to, I mean, to turn a music sponsorship, uh, whether it's a festival activation or a venue sponsorship or even being involved with an artist, the reach these days comes on social media platforms. It's, I, I honestly think it's a, it, it's a great thing. We used to be in a world where traditional media was making the decisions for us, yes. and unless there was an additional paycheck for them, your story, however good it was, wasn't going to be in there. 
Now you're on a platform that's absolutely neutral. If your story is great, it's authentic. If the artist, the festival, or whatever you chose as your transportation method has reach and impact, your sponsorship is going to work. You can see it clearly to your point on the media budgets, where right. the most of the money goes these days. It's not going to traditional media anymore. It's going to social platforms. Yeah, it's 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 interesting. It's <clears throat> you know from the brand side, sitting in the planning rooms before we make a decision about what we're going to do relative to well any passion point, but you know music for this case, um, <clears throat> it's it's a mix of all of the above here, right? And uh, how are you going to leverage the rights that you've acquired from the talent beyond the show, typically through content, right? Um, what are you doing on site? Uh, what are you doing in the venue? Um, and then how does all that fit into your larger marketing mix, right? So it doesn't look like this one thing that you're doing over here is just an outlier, right? right? How does that fit into your overall marketing mix? In the case of Jägermeister, their on-site uh, activation is a way of introducing a new trend in consuming their drinks to a relevant audience. <clears throat> and then, you know, the festival is done after a week or two weeks run, but the, those drinks are flowing into local bars. So you can see that trend emanating out of there and extending with the consumer. That's a part of the larger brand. When there component. is a purchasing decision, yeah. Yeah. then the brand is there. Yeah. And, and that's in a perfect world, right? right? So Let's live there. All right, we have run out of time. Thank you so much. So much great stuff. Thanks for being here. Um, festivals are up next, so uh, don't leave your seat. <laughs>